Ramble. Bada bing, bada boom. It's a mini sode. This week's mini sode is going to stress you out because there's so many different players in this one. There's so many different crimes. It's just complex. It's confusing. And it involves, yes, you guessed it, an FBI agent, but not in the way that you think, not in the investigative way. Just you wait. So, an FBI agent, he wakes up in a motel in Kentucky. He's got this important meeting with a district attorney for a case that he helped solve. I mean, this case put him on the map. He was a rookie FBI agent until he proved himself to the To be good at his job with this particular case. So he gets into the car from the motel. Now it's a rental car because he doesn't live here. He actually lives in Miami, Florida. So he's driving and he notices that there's just this long crack on the passenger window. And he starts freaking out like, God. How am I going to explain that to the rental car agency? That's so annoying. That's so stressful. He walks into the office. The DA asks him, hey, uh, what's wrong with your hand? Why is it all bandaged up? Oh, uh, I, I was at home taking care of the mess in the garage and I, I, I ripped it on a nail. I know. It's so dumb. Oh, okay. Well, hope you feel better. Now, if the other FBI agents noticed the scratches on his neck, they didn't mention it. And the meeting ended late. So they get released at about 4 p.m. And he's super anxious. This agent's anxious. He's like, well, well, I'm going to get back to my car. What if there's just a crowd surrounding the rental car? But when he gets there, nobody else is around. So he walks to the backside of his car. And the sun was hot that day. And he's really surprised. Huh. There's no smell. He briefly thought about opening it to double check. But what if there's a passerby? What if someone walked by? It would be pretty shocking to see a dead woman in the trunk of an FBI agent's car. This is a real story. It sounds like a movie. It actually was made into a movie. Amelia Clark plays the lead role. What's the movie? So the movie is called Above Suspicion, which is actually after um, a book written by Joe Sharkey. This book is amazing. It's about... um. Well, I can't read you the title, but it's just called Above Suspicion. It's so good. I'm going to link it in my source notes. You're like, how did we get here? I'm going to tell you how we got here. It starts with a woman by the name of Kathy Putnam. Now, her dad was a second generation Italian-American, and Kathy's entire childhood, she was pretty much raised in this super strict house. Growing up, she did everything right, and then slowly in high school, she's like, I want to have fun. I want to experience things. She starts smuggling joints into her school. She starts smoking cigarettes. She loved it. She loved breaking the rules. But at the same time, she still had these very intense main character vibes, so she's reading catcher in the rye she always has a book with her she gets good grades though so she's a very intellectual smart but also a rule-breaking type of gal now by the time she's 18 years old she drops out of high school there's just really nothing for her didn't excite her she didn't know what she wanted to do with her life moves into a rundown apartment her parents are super pissed they're super shocked like what are you doing she starts bartending at a go-go a dancer club and she hated it she was like i mean i'm not even dancing and i hate this the men here are horrible like it's horrendous here a person comes up to her and is like well have you tried like a massage parlor Now, Kathy's young. She's impressionable. She understands like a massage parlor. You're probably going to be doing some shady stuff, okay? Maybe, maybe you're going to be wearing like a skimpy, sexy outfit and you're going to massage the nasty shoulders of a sweaty dude and you're going to say, wow, you're so handsome. But maybe that's it. So she gets the job at this massage parlor and she didn't realize until her first client walked in that he expected her to give him a hand job. So she starts freaking out. I mean, she's like, I can't, I can't do that. So she tells all of her clients, like, you can do it. And look at me, I guess, but I can't do it. I'm not touching you. 
This went on for a couple of weeks. Now, one day when she's out of work, she decides to go shopping for a pair of jeans. Very specific, I know. She goes to the mall and she says she sees this guy following her around just through the mall, through the stores. He's so creepy. But like, where do I know him from? Oh, my God. Is that Joe from the massage parlor? Like she knew his first name. She knew his last name. This is a client that comes in all the time. She starts freaking out a little bit, but she's thinking to herself, if he does follow me all the way to my apartment, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell him you're such a freaking creep. Did you follow me here because I didn't give you a hand job at work? She had this whole script in her mind. She drives all the way home and this was a huge mistake. That's how she described it because he barged into her apartment after she unlocked it and he raped her. So she runs to this massage place. She tells her bosses everything. Remember that client that you guys constantly let in? Well, he's a rapist. He just raped me. I need to call the cops. They told her, well, you can't because this is an illegally run massage parlor. So get your ass out of here and you're being fired. Like they were that rude to her. They just threw her out onto the street, completely distraught. She does try to tell the police and they just told her, well, it's your word against his word. And just left this huge bad taste in her mouth. Now, this is when Kathy starts breaking the law. She starts doing something called a dry hustle, which is exactly what you would expect. She goes to a busy part of town with her boyfriend. And she's like, okay, you boyfriend, you wait in the car. I'm going to approach these young groups of guys and tell them that I've got five sex workers in a hotel. And they are just salivating for five young, fine men like you. And I can direct you to them. I can, like, tell you where they are. I can go bring you to the party. We can have some fun. But I need some money up front. Because, you know, I can't just like tell you the location because what if you try to go in there, barge in there and try to do something? So just like give me a couple hundred bucks and I'll show you the way. So she'd get the money and she'd just run it. Dip. Just book it to the car. She'd tell her boyfriend, you got to go, 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 go. Now, this is where it got really messed up. The first time that she ever did this, she's 18 years old. And one of the men turned out to be an undercover policeman. So she was immediately arrested and they kept trying to pry information out of her. Where are the sex workers? What hotel room? What what kind of operation is this? How many women are involved? Because, you know, that's going to save the world. Arrest all the sex workers. That's the only way we can get crime off the streets. That makes sense, police officers. But then they slowly realized that there were none. This was all a dry hustle. This was a complete scam. This was a lie. So at this point, she's like, I need to get my life together. I can't be. I mean, I'm 18. This is going to stay on my record. I'm no longer a juvenile. So she goes to this bar and she's drinking. She's having fun, letting off steam until she's going to maybe go to school again. She's thinking about all of these things when there's an older woman at the bar. And this woman approaches her and says, wow, you're really pretty. Uh, I I have a son. <laughs> You know where this is going. I have a son. Uh, y- you should meet him. He just graduated college. Uh, have you heard of University of Tampa? Nice school, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to be an FBI agent one day. Mm-hmm. That's what he's going to do. He's going to go to the academy. Kathy's thinking to herself, like, what kind of guy? What kind of guy can't even get his own date that his mom is at the bar trying to get, get a date for him on a Friday night? Like, not even on a Tuesday, on a freaking Friday night, you know? And she's also thinking to herself, what kind of guy wants to be an FBI agent? She just wasn't into it. She was like, I don't know what kind of guy that is. I don't think that's the kind of guy that I want to date. Sounds like a weirdo. Sounds like a by-the-books type of dude. Not fun, not cool, but the woman is persistent. This old lady is like, no, you got to meet him. He's so handsome. She's like, okay, yeah, yeah, your son (laughs) is really handsome. I get it. So she starts calling her son on the phone and just throws the phone at Kathy. She picks it up and she's like hello and his voice but she has a boyfriend no well they broke up they were on and off very very shaky relationships so his voice is super calm and he just very low almost velvety 
and he apologizes for his embarrassing mom. And Kathy instantly is intrigued. She's like, wow, this is a hot guy voice. I don't know how else to describe it, but like he sounds, he sounds hot. So she's like, well, why don't you, why don't you come down over to the bar and say hi? And so he does. 20 minutes later, he shows up and they instantly fall in love. By the end of the night, I mean, they were inseparable. They loved each other. So Mark Putnam is the guy that she was introduced to. And he had always wanted to be an FBI agent. I mean, that's pretty much what his childhood was. He was really close with both of his parents, particularly his dad. I know, very strange. We never talk about good relationships anymore. So he's really close with them. And he believed in honesty and justice. This sounds really corny, right? And anytime Mark would go around telling people, they would laugh in his face like you want to be an fbi agent because honestly people are fbi agents because it sounds cool okay no one you want to be an fbi agent because of justice people want to be fbi agents because it's a powerful position what is you've got it all wrong okay you don't understand the world that's what they would tell mark but he was obsessed with this idea his dad was the only one that wouldn't laugh in his face his dad was like you need to do it but the only way to be an fbi agent is if you get good grades so he studied hard all through middle school high school did sports in high school did sports in college i mean he was really good at all of these things very very athletic and then his dad passed away of lung cancer and it only pushed mark more i mean this is how loving of a household he was at his dad's funeral he looked his mom in the eye and said mom if i can be half the man that my dad was i will be happy wow and mark really liked kathy he liked women with strong personalities like people who are independent assertive someone like a woman that can keep him laughing at himself that isn't just like oh my god mark you're so funny but it's like mark you look funny like he liked women like that so they start dating like two teenagers he actually they move in together they start saving up money this is how like future focused they were they start saving up money to get married and have children right when they start dating they're not trying to like mess around they're just madly in love he gets a job as a clerk at an fbi office and she gets a job as a paralegal for an insurance company just saving up all this money and so after they saved up enough money they get married in new york city and everyone i mean everyone was so happy for them people knew mark's biggest dream was to be an fbi agent and if anyone if anyone could be an fbi agent's wife it was Kathy. She had this like realism about her. She was very practical. She was good with money. She was good with managing schedules, tasks, all of these things. She was also really good as a homemaker, really good at cooking and cleaning, which sounds really misogynistic, but it's a very positive attribute. And he was seen as just ambitious, overly ambitious. And she had this ability to like rein it in. And to everyone, they were perfect, just absolutely perfect. So after they get married, they give birth to their first kid by the name of Danielle a daughter now if you were to have a poster child for an fbi family recruitment center like you know those brochures it would be the putnam family like this is exactly what they would look like mark had this dark hair dark eyes super muscular guy i mean played sports his entire life super fit star athlete in college the type of guy that will go running after a long day at work like he loves jogging by himself like a 10 mile jog Kathy, she's got this light brown hair. She's delicate looking. She's very petite. She's got this beautiful smile. And then now they have this tiny little baby. I mean, this is straight up an ad for the FBI. And he nervously applies for the academy and he gets in. 
And Kathy, wow. sure enough, was the perfect partner. She printed out six of the FBI's most wanted posters and framed them up in their house as like a congratulations. Now go catch these guys. And he just thought it was hilarious. He just thought it was so cute. So he graduates from the academy. Now, once you graduate, you're placed in an office like it could be all over the nation. You've got to be very movable. You can't be like, well, I, I was born and raised in, you know, California. I got to stay in California. No, they will place you wherever they need you. That's part of the drill. So he got placed in a random location in Kentucky, fresh out of the academy. It's a place called Pikeville, Kentucky. Hmm. It's in the mountains. Apparently, it's nothing like it now, but back in the day, maybe in like the 80s, it was the type of place where if you had three people from Pikeville, two of them, their biggest dreams in life were to leave Pikeville. Like they were just constantly losing their population. Okay, like two thirds of the graduating high school class would be like, bye, I'm not going to college here. Like I'm going to I'm going to leave. I can't do this. It was mm. one of those places. And he's stationed out of there? Yeah. And what makes it even weirder is that it's a three-agent office. So there's not many mentors for this new agent. I mean, he's pretty much going to be... There's a heavy dose of crime there, too. It's not like a retirement oh. central where there's no crime, and that's why there's three agents. But there's a lot of bank robberies. There's a lot of drug usage, corruption. <laughs> yeah, bad cops, dirty cops. So it's like the worst. He got the worst luck. Yeah, and then you're in this like really heavy mining, coal mining mountain situation but don't think like beautiful skiing mountain think like harsh mountain situation where like uh -huh. the sun is shaded all the time because of these towering mountains i mean they're both 27 years old and he's like well babe i gotta do what i gotta do we gotta go to kentucky i mean hopefully we'll just be here for like three four years and then i can get transferred out to a busier location his big thing was i just want to be mentored by good agents so that i can be a good agent like he was really ambitious about all of this but the fbi told him think about it like this we put you there because you're a really promising rookie because you don't need constant supervision. I mean, every other FBI agent, right, that's going to be in Los Angeles, San Francisco, they're going to be doing paperwork for three months at least. And then for the next year, they're doing ride-alongs with other FBI agents. But you, you get to go to Pikeville, Kentucky and just hit the ground running. No supervision. Just, just do your thing. Um... So they sounds, move. Sounds like a scam. Yeah, so they move their entire family, their young daughter, Danielle, to Pikeville. And he's so excited. Like this guy runs into his first day at this FBI office, which they said that it looks like, um, you know, when you go to a car dealership, it's so fancy. But then when you go to the office where you start negotiating, it's like the most cramped office with like the chairs with the leathers peeling off mm -hmm. it was one of those like the, it looks like that so he's in but one of those little cubicles without the car without the dealership part. without the fancy part just the room yeah just the room got so it. he's he's just got this room but mark mark is motivated and he goes up to his boss and he says hi i'm mark putman and i'm gonna bust my ass for you guys here don't freaking worry i'm gonna bust my ass and the boss looks at him straight in the eye and says you don't have to bust your ass okay just do your caseload he's like what no, I, I'm ready to work overnight, 24-hour shifts, stakes out in my car. I'm going to sleep in my car watching, surveilling people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do your caseload. You're going to be fine, okay? <laughs> Jesus, please, okay? Calm down. He's like, what? <laughs> and his first day of work, he starts realizing this location is an absolute mess. There's no secretaries. There's no clerks. Now, this is fascinating because the FBI is known, is known for being just the king of paperwork. That's what they call themselves sometimes. You know, they think that ev paperwork is as important as investigating.
without the paperwork, you're screwed. Mm. It's so important. That's mm-hmm. what the academy just drills into Mark. Paperwork is everything. Paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. Mm-hmm. But there's no clerk. So there's just paperwork everywhere. There's just overdue paperwork everywhere. Wait, how am I going to do this? Wait, but if I'm investigating, usually most offices have secretaries that do the paperwork so that I can be investigating the crimes. What? <laughs> so he's getting stressed. Now, Kathy, she's at home and she's like, don't worry, Mark, I got you. I'm going to be your secretary. Obviously, she's not getting paid by the FBI, but she says, you know, I'm going to start fielding your calls because you're going to be out on the run, you know, out fighting crime. I don't even know if that's illegal, illegal yes. at all. <laughs> Just a random citizen starting to work for FBI. <laughs> so she's like, give all your contacts the house number. Again, very Are illegal. Are you kidding me? So she's, she's literally watching the baby, cleaning the house, and then she picks up the phone. Mark Putman's office, FBI. <laughs> oh my God. And she's like, oh yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll definitely return your call by 2 p.m. She writes it down, tells Mark, you got to call this person by 2 p.m. This person wants this. Just fielding all of his calls, taking his messages, working on his schedule. Super illegal. Very shady stuff, but can you really blame this young couple? They're just trying to make do. It's almost kind <laughs> of cute in a comical, illegal way. And he just starts overdoing immediately upon getting there. The, his other agent keeps telling him nonstop, relax, relax, okay? You don't need to be pulling these double shifts, okay? You're on salary, dude. Relax. You've got a big, long career ahead of you. You don't have to go overboard right now. You don't have to do all of this right now. We just like to keep it chill. Stop. Just calm down. He didn't care. He starts working these like 20 hour shifts. On Saturdays, he would bring little Danielle into the office. Why is he working so much? He just wanted to make a name for himself. He wanted to be like the head of the FBI one day. He was super ambitious. So he would bring his little daughter into the office. She would sit there and color with crayons and he would go through all of his mail and organize every single Saturday. Even the cops liked him, which is crazy. Usually, I mean, it's stressed that the cops, state and local and the feds, you know, like federal entities like the FBI. They should have a good relationship, right? That makes sense. But then you realize the FBI and the CIA probably even hate each other. They all just don't like each other. So both parties find each other completely lazy and incompetent. The cops think that the FBI are glorified office workers. They just have the deep pockets. They use money and all these little cute... Because, you know, the FBI, they're always running around in business casual. Not like a uniform. Uh, that's you know? true. Yeah, yeah, they're like, yeah. okay, they think they're so much better than us. <laughs> but all they freaking do is have money. That we don't have. If we had that money, we would solve the cases too, okay? Always coming up in our jurisdiction. Trying to do shit. And then the FBI thinks state and local cops are just lazy, incompetent, and just want to eat donuts, you know? <laughs> like, they just have... Usually the FBI is a lot more physically fit than state and local cops, too. So that just adds to the whole stigma of them hating each other, you know? This is a whole thing. There's a whole hierarchy. It's fascinating. We should We should dive deep into it one day. But Mark worked really hard to have the local cops like him, like really hard. He would offer to go on these ride-alongs and would willingly give them information that he didn't need to. Hmm. Just make their lives easier. Help smart them out. Dude, huh? Yeah, smart dude. And while he was doing that, he's essentially just begging for cases. That's He just wants cases. More cases. So he's doing all of this. Kathy at home, she's a secretary. She's a homemaker. She's a wife. But she's also having a hard time adjusting. She's cleaning, taking care of the kids, secretarial work. Just, it's a lot. And Pikeville is not a glamorous place. She has no friends. Mm -hmm. It's a really depressing place. Mm -hmm. It's also not, um, so they're from the East Coast, like Connecticut, New York City. And now Pikeville is very 
okay in the book they kept calling it the h word is that a slur yet i feel like it's gonna be a slur the hill Mm-mm-mm. you know yeah yeah that's yeah. slur so maybe it was just also a culture shock for her to be there now this next part of the story you have to understand fbi informants did you know informants are paid money to tell the fbi juicy details for yeah. whatever reason i thought that they were just given the opportunity to not go jail not go to jail and they take it they're like yeah i don't want to go to jail but the fbi would actually pay them a ton of money you get paid to snitch on people essentially how much money oh let me tell you so the fbi initially is given ten thousand dollars to form a bond with an informant they say hey this person is connected to blah 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 crime the fbi field office will send them ten thousand dollars i don't know if this you know amount has increased since like the 80s or 90s or decreased probably increased probably increased right so they give them money now it's the fbi agents at their discretion to pass this money slowly like a trickle to form this bond with the informant the informant gives them a little so then you give them a little money Mm. and then a little and then it runs out you ask the fbi for more but there's not really a cap on this so some informants could be making a ton of money and then once wow. you testify at trial, depending on how big this case is, your testimony could earn you like $30,000. Suddenly wow. everyone's like, who can I snitch on in my life right now? I'm calling the FBI and I'm testifying. Yeah, $30,000. I mean, the FBI had deep, deep pockets. They do still. Incredibly. I don't even, I can't even fathom. Now, the informants and the general population of Pikeville in Kentucky, they knew about this. They knew that if you inform the FBI about a crime, you get a little bit of money on the side. So a lot of these criminals, they would snitch on their criminal friends because, you know, rent is due. Life is hard. You got to do some. Okay, that's exactly what would happen. But the Pikeville FBI agents, they would skim some off the top. Mm. If they were going to give you 500, they would probably keep 300, give you 200 and tell the FBI field office, I gave them the whole thing. The informant took it all. But Mark never did that. Really? And so word around town is that Mark is good for the money. Mark is really good for the money. So this is when all the, the crimes just start coming to him nonstop. I mean, the phones were off the rockers, just nonstop people saying, I need to talk to Mark. I've got a crazy crime. I need to talk to Mark. I've got a crazy crime. Just not th- bank robberies, drug busts, political corruption. This just dude is working it. overtime. Yeah. Not making money. No. Asking for more work. Begging yeah. for more work. Begging for more work. Giving away more money. Yeah. precisely i mean like in the initial part of this story you're thinking this is what every fbi agent should do right just wait just wait so within a few months he's living his fbi dreams you know the rest of his graduating class they're still processing paperwork in these big offices but he he's going you know he's going solving these crimes he's being independent nobody's really supervising him Oh boy, do I have a treat for you. I can actually get you guys 10% off at analuisa.com slash rotten. Now you're thinking, well, what does Ana Luisa sell if you've never heard of them? I have been wearing Ana Luisa jewelry for the past, oh my gosh, so many years. This was actually my very first friendship bracelet with a close friend of mine. Their pieces are great for yourself or as a gift for a loved one like I did with my friend. My new recent favorite piece has been this wonderful ring called the Noah, N-O-A. And I feel like chunky rings are in these days and this one is hyper 
hypoallergenic. It's got this beautiful gold to it. I mean, when I put it on, I just want to point at things with that finger. It looks so cute. It shimmers in the light. It's actually plated in 14 karat gold, which is crazy. And it does in-house plating rather than outsourcing to places with dubious work conditions. I also have another piece that I'm obsessed with. It's the Vita necklace. It's like the most dainty V necklace with these wonderful cubic zirconias in the V shape. It's plated in 14 karat gold and I love wearing it. It's so comfortable. I never noticed that it's there, but it's so cute that anytime I pass a mirror, I have to look at myself. Is that narcissistic? Probably not. And the coolest part about Ana Luisa is that they're carbon neutral. They completely offset 100% of their own carbon emissions, starting with the sourcing of their raw materials all the way to the disposal of their pieces. They ensure the highest quality production standards while eliminating that excessive waste. It is exceptional quality, long-lasting pieces crafted with care with the best noble metals. They even offer a 365-day warranty to replace or refund any pieces that don't meet your expectations. And trust me, you're going to be so happy. Jewelry starts at $39. There is no luxury markup here. And if you guys are an international listener, customs taxes are included. So go treat yourself and your loved ones with a unique gift and get 10% off at com slash rotten. I absolutely recommend them. They're an amazing brand and they make beautiful, sustainable jewelry. Go check out their website and go to com slash rotten. Now, the main crime in Pikeville were bank robberies because most of the banks in the area were mom and pop owned at this time. The rest of the nation, they were moving on to these national bank chains, Think Bank of America. Why did I want to say Walgreens? Wells Fargo is the one I'm thinking of, but not not in Pikeville. It was mom and pop. Not a lot of security. Bank robberies are a federal crime. So he would be delegated to go to solve all of these bank robberies in Pikeville. And there was a lot. And at this particular moment, there was a serial bank robber that was on the loose. And a lot of people speculated in town that it was a man by the name of Cat Eyes. That's his nickname. That's his street name, Cat Eyes. You might think it's because he's got these bright green eyes. And it is. But it's also because if you're his friend, he will tell you all of his bank robbery secrets. So his main secret is to cut two tiny little holes in a ski mask when you rob a bank with a shotgun but the holes are so small that in the middle of bank robberies his ski mask would start moving around in the middle of all of this and he would have to constantly move it back i mean there would be times where he'd be robbing a bank completely blind so they just called him cat eyes like he just just got this fifth sense sixth sense i guess to -hmm. rob these banks So he went to jail multiple times for robbing banks with sawed off shotguns with his little ski mask. He was recently released and suspiciously banks started getting robbed again. And coincidentally, these banks were being robbed in the same manner that he, Cat Eyes, used to rob banks. I'm thinking I could be an FBI agent at this point. I'm putting two and two together. Are you? So Mark Putman has a relatively easy case on this one. I mean, this guy's a legend. Last time he went to jail, he robbed a bunch of banks, stocked up on $650,000 in cash, bought a Cadillac, drove around the neighboring states blowing it on gambling. Then came back completely broke, got arrested. Now he's released again. This is not a mastermind criminal. This is going to be pretty easy to catch this guy in the act, right? Mm -hmm. Now that he's out shopping, probably planning his next bank robberies. Let's look out for shotgun sales. You know, let's let's do all of this. And he was staying with a friend by the name of Kenneth Smith. Who was? Cat eyes. Okay. So Kenneth Smith is bad news. He was on probation for drug possession and he was living with his girlfriend, Susan Smith, and their two kids. And it's just not a good household. There was just a lot of crime going on, a lot of pills, a lot of drug usage, and they had two kids in the house. 
So he's thinking what I'm thinking. Mark is like, I'm going to I'm going to make Kenneth Smith an informant. They live together. Holy cow. That, that, that's the easiest informant. And Kenneth Smith, he's not an upstanding guy. He's got a criminal record. He's money hungry. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Now, he didn't know exactly how perfect it was, because if you were in the Smith household and you heard the conversations between cat eyes and people who were just in and out of this house, it's gnarly. They would just sit around the dinner table talking about bank robberies. Cat eyes love to talk about it. That was his favorite dinner topic. It, it's, it's all about the strategy, he would tell them, you know, even though he's been caught multiple times. It's all in the strategy. You got to you got to think what time do they open? You know, what time does the bank close? Is the construction of the bank brick? Is it, you know, what is it? Is it drywall? Where are the alarms? How many employees? What days do they get the cash delivered? What days do they get the welfare checks delivered? Because check day. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good bust. Meanwhile, he's completely broke, living in the Smith house, and he would give them financial advice. He'd be like, you know, I, I know I'm living off of you, but you should buy some trailers. Just stock up on some trailers. Sit back. Collect rent forever. That's what he would tell them, okay? Now, the FBI, they bring in greedy little Kenneth, and they, they try to see if he wants to be an informant. And this guy's super demanding. Kenneth's sitting there, and he's like, yeah, I know I'm on probation for drug possession, but I want a weekly salary. I want bonuses for specific information against cat eyes, and maybe I want some special privileges. Maybe if you catch me doing drugs, look the other way. They're like, we're not. Okay, well, give us a little tease. Give us some information. The more that they talk to him, they realize Kenneth is completely unreliable like he has the worst memory ever he can't even remember what he ate for breakfast this morning and we expect him to remember details that he's got to recount in trial as a testimony are you no that's not gonna work the only reason kenneth remembered to do things like shower is because his girlfriend susan would remind him now one of the agents his name's bert he's like oh i knew i know susie i've known susie oh my god all her life susan um why don't we use her as an informant I mean, I, okay, well, this one did fail, so I guess we'll work on Susan. Now, what did the FBI Academy teach Mark about, you know, c- forming a connection with informants? Because his first one failed. Kenneth failed. Kenneth sucks. Mm-hmm. So they teach you at the Academy that you don't personally get involved with these informants. But that's kind of bullshit. I mean, how do you have these people, usually seasoned criminals who are very skeptical and cynical of law enforcement, how do you have them trust you? It's easier said than done. Don't get personal. It seems like you have to get a little bit personal. Now, what are the motivations of informants? Some of them just want money, you know? Some of them are just greedy for more money. Some of them want revenge against the criminals that they're snitching on. And sometimes, very rarely, it's a sense of duty. These people are like, I got to fight crime. You know, I know that I like murdered five people, but there's a guy out there that's jaywalking. And it's just so dangerous. Now, Susan Smith is going to be a huge part of this story. So I'm going to give you the rundown on her. She was the 25 year old girlfriend of Kenneth, and she was notorious in this town. She was actually a family member of the Hatfield McCoy War. Do you guys know about this? It's recognized as an American folklore. So the McCoy family, which is Susan's family, is from Kentucky, and the Hatfield family is from West Virginia. Now, this is your prime Appalachian Mountains, you know, American two families fighting over land, fighting over coal. They were also both in the business of making illegal moonshine. And so they were just, I mean, this was a perfect dynasty feud, if you could, but make it super American. The McCoys were of a lower middle class. The Hatfields were a lot more affluent and they were just constantly fighting. There were so many disputes about land, moonshine. There was a deadly dispute where one of the family members died over a pig, 
over which family owned that pig and it it caused a death then two people in both parts a mccoy girl and a and a hatfield boy they fall in love oh yeah it's one of those stories okay this is a feud that went on for decades by the way so these kids are like famous yeah these kids are like why are our grandpas hiding each other let's get married so she runs off the the mccoy girl leaves kentucky moves to west virginia with the hatfields she falls in love she gets pregnant and then her family the mccoys convince her to come back to kentucky are you crazy she gets back to kentucky she's completely pregnant and the hatfield boy is like well yeah i don't want to marry you anyway and ends up marrying her cousin another mccoy girl now all of this caused a huge full-on war between the families and that peaked with more than 12 People killed from both sides of the family and nine Hatfields went to prison. Wow. So this is so this is a really intense feud, like a very famous one if you're into old American history. Very wild. Now, Susan's childhood was incredibly rough. She did not enjoy a lot of um, privilege. She didn't really come from like a good background. She grew up sharing a room with four sisters and two beds. She didn't have shoes. So she hated going to school growing up because they'd be like, why don't you have shoes? And they would just laugh at her, which is so rude. She would have to fetch water in a well because they lived on the mountainside. That was like her every day. Breakfast was always just a piece of bread and milk. And by the time she was 15, she was she was over it. She didn't want to go to school and be ashamed of how poor she was. She was the fifth out of nine children and they were all struggling. And her life dream was to become a secretary because she would watch TV and all the respectable women in movies were secretaries, which, by the way, amazing job. But we need better movies sometimes, you know, because if that's the only job that women have in movies, you start to be like, oh, I guess I got to be a secretary. In the movies, they were considered helpers, like assistants. They were dressed beautifully. They lived in these big cities and it was just her dream. And she's like, well, I, I'm good at helping. And people agreed with her. If you wanted help, Susan was always there. But she had a temper. Like, she was very interesting. And I think what makes this case interesting is that no one really sugarcoats things. They say she's a stray kitten with a temper. That's how they describe her. She was considered just like a young girl that fought her way through life. Nothing was given to her. I mean, she struggled to even get shoes. She struggled in a world where she had to fight for everything. And her biggest ambition in life was to become a secretary so that she can get married and have children. That was it. So when she's 15, she finds her way out. She meets 22-year-old Kenneth Smith. And she's like, wow, you're old. You've got your life together. What do you do for a living? He looks at her and he says, oh, me? (laughs) I'm a gambler. In reality, he was a drug dealer. I don't know which one's better. I don't know why he chose that one as his profession. But he was a drug dealer. And she immediately turned it on. I mean, she became his assistant immediately. She was good with numbers. She helped with these drug deals. She had a great personality. She would befriend and build rapport with clients, drug clients. And she would go around telling herself, oh, I'm Kenneth's executive assistant. She had no idea what that meant. She just had seen it on TV somewhere. She had heard it and it sounded fancy. So she's like, I'm Kenneth's executive assistant. Within two years, Kenneth was in jail for drug possession. So she was jobless. I mean, she had no money. So she starts working at these fast food restaurants, but that's just not enough money to live. So she starts you know resorting to sex work and when he returned they got pregnant he gets out of jail and they get pregnant so she's thinking okay this guy's gonna get his life together he's gonna go from drug dealing to gambling like we're gonna we're gonna move up the ladder they move into this trailer to start their family but susan i mean it's crazy she tried so hard to decorate it with pillows and throws and just make it like a family-friendly place even though it was just far far from cozy not that trailers can't be but this one was bad 
Now, Kenneth becomes super abusive, just hitting her nonstop. Like his main go-to would to drink, do drugs at night, beat Susan. And in the morning, he'd get on his knees and say, I'm going to change. Today, I'm going to change. And then he would do drugs, get drunk and hit her again. And they were just in this vicious cycle. And then she had another child, which is another big reason to stay. And they just weren't happy at all. Sometimes they were roommates. Sometimes they were dating. But he was constantly abusive regardless. Now, this is when the FBI agent Mark Putnam comes into her life. And he's about to destroy it all. So she's probably not the best informant. But she has a better memory than Kenneth. You know, she, she remembers things. She wasn't known for being honest, though. She also wasn't known for keeping things on the low. Like, she talked a lot. Like, she would tell everyone that she's an FBI informant. Which is something what? that you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, Everyone in Kentucky pretty much knew that Susan Smith was working for the FBI. But the upside is, she's living with cat eyes. And she has provided, you know, information at one point in time that was accurate. And it once did lead to an arrest. She wasn't paid for it. But she did tell her FBI agent friend, you know, Bert, oh, I know about this. And then he arrested people. And she knew all the right people. She knew all the bad people. So maybe, maybe it could work. So Mark and Bert decide to meet up with Kenneth and Susan at a local restaurant, broad daylight. And they're all eating. Kenneth is very possessive, very skeptical, doesn't like these FBI agents. He's like, why not use me? Give me the money. Why are you trying to give it to my girlfriend? Like saying all these things. And as they're chatting, Mark, you know, looks at Susan and says, can we talk in private? So Bert is left with Kenneth and they walk out into the parking lot, broad daylight. And as they're talking, you know, Mark's sizing her up. Turns out she's incredibly street smart. She's got this attitude about her. And it's something that he likes in women, you know, women that can't be pushed around. Just one of those girls. And she wasn't necessarily attractive. I love that these are like the first thing on this guy's mind, not like solving crime. (laughs) But she was fairly pretty. She's got this petite figure and she's got this very engaging smile. And he asks her straight up, do you want to be an informant for me? Do you want to work for me? Like, I'll pay you. And she's just avoiding the subject. She's like, well, I don't know, you know. Anyway, are you married? She asked that? Yeah. He's like, yeah. Oh, well, is your wife pretty? Yeah, she's pretty. Oh, but does she have a nice body? Yeah, okay, what does this have anything to do with it? I'm asking you, do you want to be an informant and snitch on cat eyes? My wife's not an FBI agent. My, my, my wife's not a bank robber. Yes or no? And she said, I'll think about it. And she just pranced right into the restaurant again, ate her food that the FBI paid for, and just left. So he's like, what? I mean, I'm so confused. Like, she is the type of person that will feed you just enough information. She's really smart about it. She doesn't play all her cards at once. Mm. So before you knew it, they were meeting two to three times a week until she was murdered. What? Just constantly meeting. And Susan was Wait, meeting for what, though? Just like, oh, can I said this today? So she is an enforcement. Yeah. So she's slowly giving him information. He's slowly paying her. And Susan was uh, really into Mark right off the bat. Everyone knew this. I mean, Mark was handsome. He's motivated, polished, polite, you know, somebody that treats all women like ladies, I guess. And she just acted like a woman in love. It didn't look like a woman trying to get money from the FBI or trying to, you know, a sense of duty. A -hmm. woman in love is more how people would describe Susan Smith. But for Mark, it was all work. It's always been about all work. So Susan tells him that Cat Eyes is trying to plan another robbery. He had brought back to their place two sawed-off shotguns and a bunch of ski masks. So the FBI alerts all the local banks, and then it happened. Cat Eyes robbed a First National Bank 15 miles south of Pikeville. 
He walked up in there, showed the teller the shotgun. He's wearing this homemade ski mask and said, put the money in the pillowcase. A pillowcase. He's trick-or-treating, okay? So then she slips in a dye pack. You know, the one, the things that would explode, this big red dye, the minute that it leaves the property, it's like location-based. And then it makes the rest of the bills just soaked in red ink. And then his clothes usually get soaked. It's easier to catch him, right? Mm-hmm. Then he wanted to go to the vault. They stuffed it with more money. He left with a total of $30,000. And he told them, hey, can you guys stay in the vault till I leave? So he leaves. And some of the bank employees crawl out because they're trying to get that license plate number. And they see him rush to the getaway car. But he's doing these small victory laps like a football player. Just like hopping up and down, fisting the air like, yeah. And they're like, what? They see, And then the, the dye pack explodes in the middle of the parking lot. And Cat Eyes freaked out. Everyone said he looked like he genuinely thought he had been shot. Like he's looking at his body like, oh, my God because there's red dye everywhere uh, and it was really loud yeah. but then once he realized he hadn't been shot he books it to the car and they drive off but it was too late because a bank employee had already written down the license plate number so with that they called the police but the police were busy so a week later another branch calls the fbi and says hey i don't know if this is like a crime but there was a nervous man in here and he had these green eyes he looked like this and he was asking to make an exchange and this exchange was very odd Okay, well, what was it? You know those $2 bills? He wanted to get them exchanged for different tender. You know, like he wanted some fives, he wanted some tens, some twenties. But he came in here with 182 $2 bills. And I was thinking, well, who, who has that many $2 bills? And then I noticed that all of them were stained at the edge with some, some sort of red ink. I just thought that, that was strange. But he left already. They're like, oh my God, it's cat eyes. The green eyes, these bills, it's cat eyes. Susan told us. Now, at this point, Mark had been out of town doing an arrest warrant, right? So Bert is like, Susan, tell me where he is. And she says, nope, I'm not telling you. Finally, Mark comes back and she tells Mark, well, I didn't want to tell anyone else because then they would take credit for your hard work. Uh So anyways, cat eyes is at his mom's house in West Virginia. I'll give you the address. So they go bust and arrest Cat Eyes. Now, Susan informs him all of this. He was caught. Mark paid Susan $3,200 for all this information. And she tried to give him some money of it, some of that money back. And he's refusing. He's like, no, I don't do that. Like, don't, don't worry about it. And she just dropped it on his desk and rushed out of there. Damn, she really likes him, huh? Yeah, and he was so dumb that he was so concerned. Is she trying to set me up for something? Like, why is she leaving me money? I feel like she's trying to set me up. No, you idiot. She likes you. Don't be dumb. So then he agreed to pay her another $8,600 to testify in the trial against Cat Eyes. Now, the town is really confused because Susan is now going around telling everyone that she is Mark's new executive assistant. Yes, she's bragging about it. She's saying, I work for the FBI. I am federally protected by the FBI. She would say things like this. I don't know if it works like that. Does the FBI really protect anyone? Federally speaking, I don't even know what that means. Okay, this this sentence is too complex. So she would tell all these people these things. And the only person that seemed to realize what was going on was Kathy, Kathy Putman, Mark's wife. She -hmm. thought, well, I think the reason maybe Susie's going around telling all these people this is because she at least this offers her some protection. Maybe if people believe that she's working that closely with the FBI, Mm -hmm. even though she's a snitch, even though she's an informant, maybe they won't hurt her because how dumb would that be? 
Susan was a regular caller at the Putnam house to talk to Mark because, you know, Kathy is the secretary his wife would pick up. And she immediately took a liking to Susie, Susan, just in an empathetic way. She, she claimed Susan's like a cloud, just aimlessly traveling around, trying to find a purpose in life. And Kathy could relate to that. You know, she had a time in her life before she met Mark when she was doing that dry hustle, got arrested, doing all these things. She was also floating around like a cloud. And Susan would call nonstop. She took her job as an informant seriously. She believed that it was a full-time gig. She would call in to just report. Like, hey, uh, today I'm going to be trying to do this. And it's like, well, yeah, Susie, but just call us when you have information. Informant, information. You don't have to call me to tell me, you know, your schedule for the day. But she would do it. She was like, but I think you just need to know that I'm working hard. Okay, like she was really dedicated to this. And Kathy would be there to field these calls. And they would slowly start talking about other things. Now, Kathy had already heard everything about Susan from Mark. You know, he's just like, this is my first informant. It led to an arrest. There was also some strange things that happened with Susan. Mark told her, Mark told Kathy that after meeting Susan at the restaurant, Kenneth, Susan's boyfriend, went around telling everyone in town that an FBI agent forked the shit out of Susan in the parking lot in broad daylight in an FBI car. What? And he's super pissed about it, you know? Just like bizarre, right? She's like, what kind of guy does that? That's strange. Is that going to put your job on, on the line? Like that's no, no one even believes them. Trust me. It's fine. But she just thought, wow, what a, what a weird couple. So the two women, they start bonding. You know, Kathleen, like I said, she's lonely. She's unhappy in Pikeville. Susan is almost like a like a like a little sister to her. She's like this kind of person who needs help. And Kathy, Kathy needed company. Now, Kathy's not dumb. She realized that Susan had an obsession with Mark. I wouldn't maybe say obsession, maybe a liking. But she saw it as like a cute, eager female student with a crush on the professor. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of like course. kind of like a oh, it's nothing serious. Just like one of those little girl crushes almost, even though they're both of age and it could be very dangerous. Yeah. But that's how she saw it. And Susan would constantly ask like, hey, Kathy, what's your advice on grooming? What's your advice on etiquette? And then would slowly start asking personal information about Mark. Like, what does he like to eat? Does he like to read? So one time she asked Kathy, does he like to read? And ever since then, Mark would come home and be like, it's the strangest thing. And Susan's just coming up to every meeting with like, a stack of books with her. I'm like, what are you doing with a stack of books, lady? That's bizarre. That's, I've never seen you with a stack of books. <laughs> and he started noticing some odd changes. When uh, Kathy would cut her hair, Susan would then cut her hair. Susan stopped talking the way that she used to. So she would always say things like, oh, I heard them say that. Like, I heard them. And then she would say, oh, sorry, I meant heard. So she was very focused on coming off as like this polite I guess, quote, polite person now, now that she's talking to Kathy. And then from Susan's perspective, she just felt like she was living a glamorous life, helping the FBI, an executive secretary to an agent. I mean, that's a crazy job. But at the same time, she had this confliction in her head. On one point, she sees herself as an informant, an executive secretary. But at the same time, she sees herself as, you know, she sees herself in Mark as a Bonnie and Clyde of sorts. There's just a lot of unprofessional emotions going on. There's just the communication wasn't clear. She showed up to the courthouse every single day looking for Mark to the point where she would actually imply to all these government employees that her and Mark, the FBI agent in town, are very 
in a very personal relationship. People thought it was shady. She just talked nonstop about all the men she was also in bed with. She was known to overshare. She was also known to lie about a lot of these things. It just seems like, for me, the way that I interpreted it is a girl living in a small town just wanting some attention. It's mm-hmm. kind of sad. And Kathy knew this side about her. You know, Susan would tell her, I hate my relationship. I have all these money problems. I hate the way that I look. I hate the way that I talk. I sound like a you know, a hill, you know, finish Mm -hmm. the sentence. I want to do big things, but every time I try to do something, every time I try to move, something goes wrong. And then I end up back here and I just, I hate it. I feel uh, stupid. And Kathy related to this and she would say things like, no, I was there with you. Like I was just like you, but you can have what I have, you know? You can, you can have a happy life one day. You can have a wonderful, beautiful family one day. I'm a different person now. And you could do it too. Susan, you're young. You're beautiful. You're competent. You're worth it. If I can do it, you can do it. She would say these very specific things. Do you ever have those days where you've got 5 million things on your checklist you've got to do? All these millions of errands that you got to run. And the one that I dread the most every single time without fail is going to a post office. I just don't like it, okay? I'm not a fan. I don't like the lines. I don't like how slow everything is. And I also don't like paying full price for postage. Well, thanks to stamps.com because you don't have to do that anymore. Really. You can mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. I mean, this is new age, guys. Send letters, ship packages, and you get to pay less like a lot less you get discounted rates with usps ups and more stamps.com actually saves businesses thousands of hours and tons of money every single year it brings the services of the u.s postal service and ups right to your computer it's honestly a must-have for any business whether you guys are a small business or a small office that's sending out invoices or a side hustle you know like an etsy shop shipping out orders this is perfect or maybe you're just navigating a hybrid work life you're like i'm just trying to save some time guys stamps Stamps.com can handle that with ease. No wonder over 1 million businesses choose Stamps.com for their mailing and shipping. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, and any class of mail anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. You can get discounts, 40% off post office rates, and up to 66% off of UPS rates. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Stop wasting time to go to the post office and go to stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with my promo code ROTTEN, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in ROTTEN. That's stamps.com, promo code ROTTEN. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. And Kathy would confide in her as well. And she would say things like, you know, we're trying to get pregnant. It's our life plan to have two children. It's on the schedule right now to have another one. But we're not making a lot of money yet. We don't go on date nights anymore. We just eat at home, spend time with Danielle, their daughter. Every week he'll come home and dress up Danielle in her prettiest dress. And we take her to McDonald's. That's like the highlight of our week. So it's, it's been rough. I don't know how we're going to afford another kid. But it's on our timeline. Meanwhile, Mark cared, but not really. You know, he was done with the information that Susan gave on. He was moving on to the next thing. Operation Chop Shop. This was going to be the biggest bust ever. They, it was a bunch of um, stolen equipment. Like, I am talking trucks. Not personal trucks. Commercial trucks were being stolen. 
and picked apart and the parts were being sold like a Sears catalog for criminals. There was like millions and millions of dollars. I think like in one bus, they found four million dollars worth of parts. This is a huge organization. And a guy named Charlie was the informant on it. And he was just upset because he was supposed to get paid like a, a couple thousand dollars per truck, but they were underballing him and he was annoyed with it. So he's ratting them out. And what's crazy is all the FBI agents were like, Mark, don't even mess with it. He's like, why are they that scary of an organization? No, because can you imagine the paperwork? Each piece of stolen item from one truck, you got to do a separate piece of paperwork for that. You got to get the serial number. You got to track down what truck it belonged to. Find out who that truck belonged to. Find the owner of that one piece and tell them, hey, I've got your fucking tire here. You know, I mean, is that's a clerical nightmare. Is it worth it? What are they doing? Just selling parts. They're not killing anybody. They're not selling drugs, selling women and children. They're, they're selling trucks. OK, it's fine. But he was like, no, this is groundbreaking. I'm so sick of these bank heists. I'm so sick of these drug busts. I need to do this. So he starts working with Charlie and he's so busy that he's like, I, I don't care about Susan. Like she doesn't have this type of information. Meanwhile, the borough, the FBI is telling him, keep Susan because she has to testify or the whole thing falls apart. So there's just a lot of balance. He's balancing Operation Chop Shop. He's balancing Susan to keep her happy enough so that when the trial does come, she is going to testify. Now, Kathy gets pregnant and she becomes five months pregnant eventually. And now she's going away to Connecticut for a few weeks to have the baby. I mean, Mark is losing his mind. He's losing his assistant. He's going to be alone for a few weeks. He was supposed to travel to Connecticut to see his new baby. But there was just so much on his plate. And then it got worse because Charlie, the informant for this big chop shop, came in and he showed the agent something. He took off his shirt and he had this giant X carved on his back from shoulder to hip. It was bad. Fresh? Fresh. Oh. So Kathy gives birth to a baby son and now they have two kids. And when they get Wait, back he from- he didn't say how? What happened? Yeah, well, they pulled him aside, the leaders of the chop shop, and they were pissed. Oh, wow. And they carved it to mark him as a mole, a rat. And uh, when the family gets back from Connecticut, this is when uh, Susan is waiting at the office with a Christmas present. And he's like, oh, my God, Susan, I am so in over my head right now. What do you need? And she says, Merry Christmas. And she plops down a pair of expensive Nike running shoes and a new Nike T-shirt. And he's like, I can't take these. And she says, well, your wife mentioned that you go on a run every single night. So I just wanted you to have something to jog in. And he's like, no, 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 I cannot. And she said, well, I will be insulted if you don't take it. And she ran out of the office. So what does he do? He gets on the phone with his supervisor. He says, listen, I don't know what to do. This girl like just left me all these things for Christmas. I mean, she's an informant. You don't think that's crazy? Eh, don't worry about it. You know, write a memo. Put the stuff in the safe in the office. Just don't take it home, I guess. But is there anything else going on with her? Like you're really calling me because she gave you some sneakers for Christmas? Well, truth is, boss, I kind of know that she's like, she's, you know, she's made it clear that she likes me, if that's what you mean. Yeah, well, it happens, okay? Just be careful. Do your work. Make sure she testifies. That's it. Then you cut her loose, okay? So he's like, okay. So just make it through the trial. That's all I need. And then I'll cut her loose. But it was just getting difficult to be around her. Every time they would meet up, she would just do very uncomfortable things. She would say, did you notice I lost 10 pounds? Oh, wow, Susan, you look terrific. I started running every night, just like you, in case you're interested. Interested in what, Susan? A little fling? 
Jesus, Susan. Yeah, I'm a married man. I have children. I can't be doing stuff like that. But she persisted. And he was like, well, what, what, what about Kathy? What about my wife? You know, I, you guys are even friends now. Are you kidding? I can never do that to Kathy. And Susan would just say, well, why does she have to know? So they would just have these conversations. And again, I think even Mark in the beginning treated it as this is like a little girl crush. Maybe she's just saying bullshit. Maybe she's bored of this town. So she's like, yeah, let's do it. And he's like, oh, God, get out of here. Besides, he had other things to worry about. There was a new transfer, a 37-year-old FBI agent by the name of Ronald Gene Poole. And he had worked in Chicago. He was known to be a very good undercover agent for drug busts transferring in. So they would be new partners. And when Ron, when Ron Poole got there, Mark was shocked. He was quite overweight. He was constantly sweating. Mark said he looked like a school crossing guard. And he thought, well, maybe, maybe this is why he does. Also, the body shaming in that is intense. But Mark said, well, maybe this is why he does really good undercover work because nobody would suspect that he's an FBI agent, not one person. And so oh he invited Ron. He said, well, let me be a good partner. Why don't you, why don't you come on over for dinner with me and my wife, Kathy? We'd love to host you. He comes on over. Now, it's clear that Ron Poole did not like Mark. Just didn't like him. Because Ron is used to being the best in his office. Mm. And he thought it would be even better in a place like Pikeville. But now now there's this new rookie agent who's just going around doing the freaking most. And now I got to do the freaking most because all these supervisors are going to be calling in like, well, wh- why does Mark solve 25 cases and you solve, let's see, 10? But if everyone's solving seven cases and I solve 10, I'm doing the same work, but I'm getting praised for it. Mm-hmm. So he's a little pissed off about it. He shows up to dinner and he starts immediately eyeing Kathy. His new partner's wife. So Ron is just drooling over Kathy. Talked about how he's an agent that, quote unquote, I deliver the goods. Drug dealers are terrified of him. And so he leaves. Now, because of Ron Poole's attraction to Kathy, he becomes another addition to her calls on a daily basis. Just constantly calling the house. What is going on with these people? Yeah. Why are... <laughs> What's going on in Why Pikeville? is non... Nobody can keep this professional, huh? Yeah. Uh, it's got that Pikeville, very small town vibes, maybe, where everyone knows each other and there's it's blurred lines, maybe. I don't know. So he's just calling the house constantly. And it's very uncomfortable. Ron Poole is known to be a creeper towards women. And Kathy is incredibly uncomfortable. Like she would pick up after, you know, she's busy. She's exercising. She's got the kids. She's a new mom. And she'd pick up in the middle of an exercise and he'd be like, oh, why are you heavy breathing? Because I was um, exercising, hello? you weirdo. 911. <laughs> <laughs> 911? Wait, no. Who do I call for this? Like, it's it's complex, right? So it's just super creepy. <laughs> and then Ron meets Susan. And he gets extra stoked. She's like, wow, two hot women at once. This is crazy, Mark. How do you know so many hot women? And he starts trying to get with her, too. You know, he starts he starts trying to be like, oh, well, Mark, what do you think if I work with Susan? And Mark was freaking excited. Because he was like, I don't want to work with Susan. You work with Susan. This is perfect. And Susan was miserable. Ron was creepy. His intentions were clear. She wanted to work with Mark. She loved Mark. But she couldn't turn down Ron because she needed the money. So she's working with Ron, creeped out. The person she wants to work with, Mark, is married and has children. But she's like infatuated with him. So you're telling me this is a love story. Yeah. But then things get more bizarre. And it started happening in the house. Kathy gets an anonymous call of a man breathing into the phone saying, 
your old man is fooling around with a girl named Susan Smith. That's all. And they hang up. Is it wrong? She doesn't know. So she approaches Mark that night and she's like, hey, um, I got this call. It's weird, right? He's like, don't be ridiculous. Listen, you already know that I'm so stressed that Susan is implying that we're in a personal relationship. I mean, that jeopardizes my job, right? And she's got this big mouth blabbing on and on about how she's an executive assistant. God, Jesus Christ, do you believe anything that comes out of that woman's mouth, Kathy? What's wrong with you? So she's like, I guess that makes sense. And Mark starts feeling overwhelmed. He hates his new partner. Difficult to work with. Ron also keeps calling the house to hit on his wife. That's a big problem. They have two small kids to take care of. Kathy's constantly miserable. He would come home from work. Kathy's just sobbing. And he has no patience to deal with it anymore. Because he's dealing with Charlie, who's sobbing all the time. Susan's sobbing. All he hears at work is just people crying on and on and on and on. And now he comes home from work and his wife is fucking crying. <sighs> He's so over it. He's done. Everything's falling apart. The chop shop operation isn't going well. Susan's telling everyone that would listen that, you know, FBI agent Mark is in love with her. But then something strange started happening to Mark. The more that Kathy wanted to transfer, wanted him to transfer out of Pikeville, Uh the more that Kathy wanted to move, the more that she was tired of taking care of the kids, the more that Mark seemed to be enjoying his time with Susan. He realized that he started looking forward to her smile and her flirtatiousness. And uh, just kind of the invitation from Susan was lingering in his mind. Wow. He'd just be driving around. You know, he barely had sex with his wife now because she just had kids and she's miserable working all the time. You know, she's a, she stays at home, takes care of two kids. One of them is a newborn and she's your secretary. You don't pay her for it and you show her no love and affection. But anyways, that doesn't matter because they're not having sex anymore. And that bothers him. And he just wanted to relax. And Mark couldn't help but think that if he did hook up with Susan, he could do whatever he wanted. That's kind of how she implied it. Like she'd be down for whatever. It'd be so easy. And around this time, Susie and Kathy's relationship started spiraling. Susie would call Kathy to let her know, I like to feel him near me. Talking about Mark. Why is she doing that? I don't know. And so Kathy's like, oh my God, what? That's weird. Again, is this like some sort of drug-induced fantasy? Now, I really do think that Kathy was on the belief that Susan was a woman in trouble, a woman that her husband would never even look twice at on Mm. a sexual or a companionship level. I think that that's what was going on. Like she was just so compared to Kathy, she really didn't have things put together. Maybe it was just mm-hmm. a, so she was like, maybe that's like some drug induced fantasy. Susie, Susan's always on drugs. Maybe it's that, but she st- still told Mark and she, t- she gave him one morning. I know you're not thinking about it, but don't you ever do anything with that woman? Cause she's going to ruin you. She's going to get pregnant. That was the vibe she was getting from Susan, you know? And he would just say, Jesus Christ, Kathy, I'm not stupid. What's wrong with you? But then the calls from Susan started getting weirder. One day, according to Kathy, Susan called and said, I know Mark just wants to forget about me. He thinks that I can't, he thinks I can't do anything for him anymore. I know he does. It doesn't matter to him the danger that I was in. It doesn't matter if I could have gotten killed from being an informant. Just as long as he's got his stupid little reputation and his big government job, that's all he cares about is his stupid job. He doesn't care about me getting hurt. And he doesn't care about you stuck at home with the babies. You know what, Kathy? You're the stupid one. And she hung up. It was just out of nowhere. So she's like, okay, 
really bizarre. But again, she's just a troubled girl. She's probably on drugs. So Kathy's still pleading with Mark to help Susan. You know, she's in a rough start. She needs she's in a rough spot. She needs money to get away from Kenneth's abuse, take the children out of the house. So he gave her eight thousand dollars in federal funds because Kathy helped him to help her out. She also knew about another potential bank robber. So that also kind of had to do with it. And Susan starts telling her sister and the rest of her family other things. She would say things like, Mark is deeply in love with me. You know, we got pregnant already, but I had a miscarriage. But we're going to keep trying. Yeah, he's going to leave his wife for me once I get pregnant. Susan talked about how they had all the sex until the sun came up. They even had sex in their house. Well, when would you do that? Kathy's a stay-at-home mom. Well, Kathy went to Connecticut to have her second child. And he invited me over to the house. And we just had sex until the sun came up. I mean, it was, it was marvelous. Everyone who heard this felt like, okay, well, everyone who knew Susan and heard this felt like, maybe I believe 25% of the things that she say- she's saying. But you can't help it. Maybe there's some truth to it. No, like this is such a bizarre lie. Maybe she's making up some of it, but can she really make up all of it? Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, Susan's hospitalized. It's suspected that it was from drug use, but either way, she called Mark to the hospital and she claimed it was from stress. You know, all these bad guys are out to get her. Mm -hmm. Why don't you come into bed with me? It'll help. And he says, Susan, what are you doing? And she flipped open the hospital bed blanket and she was completely nude. So he's like, oh my God, I'm going to go home. He gets into the car, but he can't stop thinking about it. Meanwhile, Kathy at home, his wife, I mean, she's going through a shit show. The safety line between work and home had been completely erased because one day she woke up, went into the driveway, and every single tire on their car was slashed. This was a warning. Sometimes she would be looking out her kitchen window and there would be men standing on the street staring at her through the window. She had a gun in the house and a lot of the days she would literally stand in front of the front door with a gun in her hand because she was terrified of her little children. What if something happened to them? To make matters worse, Mark didn't care. Okay, Mark just didn't care. She would say, we need to move. This is dangerous. Our life is in danger. Just tell them and they will relocate you. Not a big deal. And he says, no, I'm not a quitter. But it was all escalating and something terrible was going to happen soon. Everyone knew it. Everyone felt it. And it started getting weird for Kathy because sometimes she would hear Mark on at home on the phone with Susan. And it's confusing because the way that they would talk, it's almost like how a husband talks to their wife in a very intimate tone. I, I know. I know, Susan. D- don't say that, Susan. Come on, Susan. You know, I didn't mean that. You know, that's not true, Susan. Susan, it's It's okay. What? And then Kathy would overhear it. She would step into the room and Mark would see her and say, Susan, if you don't want to work with Ron, just tell him that. It's simple. Okay, I got to go. So she's like, okay, that's a little weird. So a week before the next Christmas, Susan wants to meet up. And they do. And he drives up to the mountain where he usually takes her away from everyone about 20 minutes out of town. They've been coming here for like the past months and months, right? Wait, who? Who and who? Susan and Mark. So they've been sleeping for months now? No. Just coming up here to talk about information. And this time he was really stressed about his home life, about Kathy. And so Susan noticed that he seemed tense and said, is there something wrong, Mark? You know, just, just problems. Everybody's got problems. I know that there's problems at home. Kathy tells me. (sighs) Okay, well... It's fine. It's not that big of a problem. Well, you know, there's nothing you can do about it right now, but don't you think that you need somebody, Mark? 
And so he claims at this point, Susan kept going on about how she could be the right person for him. We can just do things to make you feel better and it doesn't really mean anything else, you know? And I care about you. You just have to take care of yourself. Sometimes you have to be selfish and put yourself first. And then they started kissing. And eventually they did it for the first time on that mountaintop. And he drove her back home. And for the next few days, he avoided her. I mean, he tried to reason with himself. He was like, it's just a fling. It's a one-time thing. It'll never happen again. Susan knows that. She's going to get over it too. But he, he knew. He knew that that was very unlikely in the back of his mind that Susan would never get over it. And just like a little horny teenager, guess what he did a couple days later? He met her at that mountain again and they would continue to do this. A full-blown sexual affair. It's bad that he's an FBI agent. It's bad that he's married. But it's worse that she's also an informant for the FBI. I mean, this is the worst case situation. Because even a married FBI agent having an affair could, you know, raise a couple eyebrows. But this, this is, this is illegal and horrendous on so many different levels. And then a couple months later, he decides, I don't want to have sex with Susan anymore. So what does he do? Instead of telling her, instead of having an adult conversation, like the FBI agent he should be, he just starts ignoring her. And of course, this causes Susan to become incredibly agitated. And she becomes energized with these fantasies. And she started telling everyone, no, no, no we're working things out. He's really leaving his wife, trust me. We're going to have a happy ending. Besides, I'm trying to get pregnant. During all of this, Kathy never suspected it. I mean, Mark didn't seem to change. Susan, however, seemed to change. Susan would call the house and she seemed so happy and confident. She would never even ask about Mark anymore. They never talked about Mark. Maybe all of Kathy's coaching really did help. And she would always tell Susan, go after what you want. You can have a happy ending. And then one day, Kenneth calls the house. This is the first time Kathy's ever talked to Susan's boyfriend. I mean, she's heard a lot about him, the abuse and all these other things from Susan and They're from Mark. They're still together? Yeah, still living together. And uh, he's super drunk and tells Kathy, hey, Susan, my girlfriend is screwing around with your husband and she's pregnant with his baby. And she's like, what? Susan rushes to the phone and she's like, oh my God, Kathy, don't, don't worry. He's just mad that we haven't been having sex recently. And he thinks that, oh God, he thinks I'm like doing something with Mark. But trust me, it's all work. You know, I take my work seriously. And then they're screaming in the background and there sounds what sounds like hitting in the background and it hangs up. So Kathy tells Mark about it and she's just really stressed. Like, oh God, I bet she's like getting abused right now. We should do something. And Mark seems incredibly agitated. And he says, well, I'm sure Susan kind of deserved it. You know, she's got this thing for pushing people's buttons. Kathy's like, how could you say that? You're you're an FBI agent and you're my husband. You're you're insinuating that this woman deserves domestic abuse. She's, he's like, can you blame him? You know, she just instigates everything. And Kathy just never felt further from her husband. Hmm. But she still didn't believe that there was an affair. She just felt like, who is this man? Mm hmm. How could he say that? And then Kathy would be on the phone with Susan and Susan would say things like, oh, I got to go. Guess who pulled up to the front of my house? Call you later. And she'd hang up. Mm -hmm. Kathy was like, Mark? Mark's at her house again? But when she would call the FBI field office almost immediately after, he would pick up and say, hey, babe, what's going on? So it's not Mark. Why was Susan kind of implying that it's Mark? Yeah. Just bizarre, right? Yeah. So after enough begging, Kathy got Mark to request a transfer and they approved it. 
They even wrote in the report that Mark was a wonderful agent, helped a lot in Pikeville, put it on the map, and now he will be relocating to FBI Miami Vice. This is a huge division. Huge. Yeah. So Kathy's ecstatic. She's packing our bags. The FBI is even paying for the move. The whole move. I mean, this is the best thing ever. This is what they've been working for. Yeah. Finally. So she's so busy packing. The The deal was that she was going to move with the kids first. And then Mark would stay behind to clean up the rest of the house. Put it on the market. That would take about a week. And then join the family. Right? Uh-huh. So for the next week, he's adamant on keeping a low profile. Now, Susan's devastated. She knew that in order to make money now, now that Mark's gone, she'd be forced to hang out with ron who so obviously wanted to have sex with her and it wasn't just it wasn't just that it was the fact that he would try to grab her butt and she would slap it away and he would call her a whiny hill blank so mark asked her before he left you know what can i do to help with ron because i get it he's a creep he did that to my wife too and she just lashed out like fuck you you don't give a shit about me go be happy in florida with your family he's like oh Jeez Louise. So he moves. Now, Susan moves out of Kenneth's house finally and moves in with her sister. And people started noticing a change. I mean, overactive Susan would now constantly lay on the couch and just cry and watch Miami TV cop shows that she was never interested in. But suddenly, it's the only thing that she wanted to watch. And she told everyone that Mark is flying back to Miami to divorce his wife. He's going to clean things up there, but he's going to get back. You know, he's going to come back for me. Because I'm pregnant. And we even picked out names, you know. Um, if, if it's a boy, I'm going to name him Mark Jr. If it's a girl, we're going to name her Markella. And she was just so excited. She would go to these hair salons and the woman just, after she would leave, the other woman would talk about how much she changed. Susan used to love her kids and now she would just slap them for interrupting her. She seemed on edge. Something seemed very wrong. Something tumultuous was happening in her life. And a lot of people found her sleeping in her car. She wanted pills for her addiction, her drug addiction. But everyone she talked to knew that she was working for the FBI. So nobody wanted to sell her pills because they're like, I am going to give you pills. I'm going to take your money and the feds are going to show up right now. They're hiding in the bushes. I swear to God, no one wanted to sell her these pills. So she's having withdrawal. She allegedly was back in sex work at a motel. I mean, life was falling apart. She was constantly leaving messages in the Florida house, you know, the Florida house phone. But Kathy, I mean, in Pikeville, she was so lonely in Florida. She's meeting all these women who think like her, dress like her, talk like her, and she's having fun. She's unpacking. I mean, this was her dream. So she, Susan just feels like a distant memory. She's not responding. She's not picking up these calls anymore. She's so busy. But Mark would be back for two hearings for the Chop Shop case. So the first time, he completely avoided Susan. She didn't even know he was in town till he left. I mean, it was super stealthy. But the second time, it would be harder because he'd be there for a couple of weeks. And Ron Poole knew about it and told Susan the exact dates that Mark was in town. Not only did he tell Susan the exact dates that Mark was in town, he, t- he put her in the same motel, paid for it on FBI agent money. What's wrong with that, dude? Like, Yeah. The same motel that Mark would be staying in. He said, I was just trying to help. It seems like he was jealous of Mark's career, you know, because anyone who knew Mark and the FBI, all of the superior agents, like the head bitches in charge, I guess, right? The HBICs, they would constantly say, I'm telling you, this one, this one's got potential. That's what they say about Mark, you know, and Ron Poole, he's in his late 30s. He's not fit. His career is kind of tapped out Mm -hmm. and he's also kind of lazy about it. 
Mm-hmm. So he just hated him. And he probably hated him for the fact that he had a beautiful wife. And he also hated him for the fact that Susan was obsessed with him. And he wanted to sleep with Susan. And Susan confides in Ron that she had a pregnancy test and it came out positive. She gives a copy to him and she tells him that she thinks it's Mark's. So he's thinking, this is perfect. I'm going to take him down. Because the FBI is going to fire this guy. You know, he's probably not going to get jail time. But he's going to get freaking fired. And his wife's probably going to leave him. Ugh, jobless, wifeless, perfect. I feel like when I was a bit younger, I would just use any perfume that just smelled nice. I would have someone walk by me and I'd be like, what is that scent you're wearing? It smells so good. And then I would go and buy this expensive full-size bottle of it, pour it all over my body, and it just didn't mix well with me. I feel like perfumes are sensitive to the person. But nowadays, with Scentbird, I can actually try out these perfumes without splurging on these big bottles. Scentbird is a fragrance subscription service that gives you the opportunity to shop over from 600 brands. It's a flexible subscription so you can skip any month without any penalties and it lets you choose a new designer fragrance to try every single month for just $16. So you get to pick what you want, receive it. There's no surprises and they have a lot of perfumes, colognes, and even a lot of unisex options. You just choose it and they send you a 30-day supply. Honestly, it lasts me a little bit longer than 30 days. They carry top designer brands like Prada, Gucci, Versace, as well as indie labels like Vince Camuto, The Harmonist, Confessions of a Rebel, and all All of them are 100% authentic because they work directly with the brands. So even if you guys are just looking to like try out a scent, my favorite is the fact that I can switch it up like after 30 days because my summer scent is very different from my fall scent. Let me tell you that. But I don't like having all these half empty expensive bottles just sitting around. Did you know some bottles of perfume can cost anywhere between 150 to 500 and even more? Like for example, Scentbird carries Homage that costs $345, which is crazy. Sisley for $280. I mean, it's insane. Imagine spending that much money and then deciding you don't like the scent. And right now, with an exclusive offer just for our listeners, you can actually get 30% off of your first month today. That's only $11 for your first fragrance. So go to Scentbird.com and use my code ROTTEN for 30% off of your first month. Again, that's S-C-E-N-T-Bird.com for you to try your first perfume or cologne for just $11. Seriously, sign on. Smell amazing. My recommendation right now is Bloom by Gucci. I am just spraying that all over the place. So go try it out for $11. So he's just like a little reality TV show producer, puts Susan in that motel, pays for it. The first few days, Susan would just call Mark nonstop. And she was just getting more and more aggressive. Like, we need to talk. Like, I'm telling you, I'm pregnant. Like, we need to talk. Don't avoid me. Ron Poole would come over to the motel and just slip Mark the pregnancy report. And Mark was just terrified. I mean, terrified. The more avoiding Mark did, the more Susan would push. And she would say things like, allegedly say things like i'm gonna be a thorn in your ass mark i'm gonna come down to florida and i'm gonna make sure that you don't forget about me and what did mark do about this i mean should he hate himself mm-hmm. yeah but instead he hated her he hated that he recruited her used her paid her encouraged her comforted her and ultimately had sex with her and now she's pregnant he just had this rage against susan and finally when they were together he didn't know she even looked pregnant But also at the same time, Mark doesn't know when women start showing. He doesn't remember because he was so busy with work when his wife was pregnant. But maybe it's also the drug usage. Maybe she shows a little bit later. He's thinking of all these things. So he starts trying to talk sense into her in the motel room. Like, listen, if the baby is mine, 
And this was a bad way to start it because she starts screaming. What do you mean if the baby is? You just think I'm going around sleeping with everyone in Pikeville? Of course the baby is yours. What's? Are you calling me a whore? Like, what's wrong with you? He's like, okay, shh. People are going to hear you. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. The baby's mine. But I can raise it with Kathy, you know? I, I, I know you're, you're busy. You've got a lot going on. You've got two kids. I can take the baby. I will confess to Kathy and we will raise that baby with so much love in a stable house. And she's just screaming and screaming because this is also another horrible thing to do is insinuate that you are not a fit mother and say, I'm going to take it to my wife that you're insanely jealous of and we're going to raise the baby, right? So she's pissed. She's screaming. And he's like, okay, okay, why don't we go for a drive? People are going to hear us. So she, he drags her to the car and at 11 p.m. they start driving up the mountain where they usually go. And Susan, the whole ride, I mean, she's just saying, you're going to get fired. Honestly, I understand the anger, right? You're going to get freaking fired. He claims that she was slapping him through the entirety of the drive and finally they get to the top and they park and she's just sobbing at this point and he's like let's just try to figure it out from now on we really only have mark's side of the story but he claims that she was threatening him and she said things like i'll be damned if you just get to go to florida with your little wife and your little f-ing spoiled kids and resume your wonderful no you owe me buddy you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have Mark Jr. And we're going to come down to Florida. And I'm going to place Mark Jr., my little baby, our little baby, right into your kid's arms. How are you going to explain that to your kids, huh? What will they think? Well, what if I walk Mark Jr. down to the FBI Miami Vice office and show off your coworkers the new baby that you just had? What if I do that? So he's just like, what do you want? We're going to have this baby. You will be here when it's born and sign the birth certificate as its daddy. Second, you will leave that whore wife, Kathy, and those spoiled kids and marry me. If you don't, I will ruin your life. That's what he claims she said. And he claims that he got angry. And he said, don't call my wife a whore. Do it again and I'll smack the shit out of you, Susan. And his side of the story is that she egged him on. Like, you don't have the balls to hit me. Try it. You don't have the balls to hit me. I'm sure some of this is incredibly biased. And they started hitting each other. She tried to poke out his eyes with her long nails, just digging them, like gouging out his eyes. He tried to punch her, but she ducked and he punched the passenger side window and his knuckles were all bloody. So he's shaking off the blood and his blood is splattering everywhere. And now he's like, oh, my God. And that is when Susan decides to go in and start biting his bloody knuckles, which is incredibly painful. And she's screaming while she's doing this. And he just wanted her to shut up. That's what he claims. So he grabs her and starts shaking her by the neck. But when he looks back down, he claims that he didn't know how much time passed. Was it 10 seconds? Was it 10 minutes? And he tried to nudge Susan, but she wouldn't get up. And then she slumped forward and her neck was bent at a grotesque angle. So he starts freaking out, tries to give her CPR, but he knew. He knew. He knew that he had just killed Susan and that she was dead. Okay, think, Mr. FBI. What do we do? What do we do? Do I say that we got into an accident? She was giving me information. No, but who gets strangled in a car accident? Also, nobody just breaks a passenger window and that's it. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I got to throw up. So he goes outside the car. He throws up. Then he tries lifting her body out of the car and he drops her and her head hits on a rock. So he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So he manages to put her body into the trunk and decides to go back to the motel and see what happens. His knuckles were bleeding, bandages it up. There's long scratches all over his neck and jaw. It looked like he had been in a brutal like bar fight. 
So he looks at the clock. It's 3 a.m. He decides to take a shower, go to the convenience store, buy more Band-Aids, buy some antiseptic. And no matter, you know, he had no idea what to do with the body. The next morning, he wakes up and he's still an FBI agent. And he has this important meeting in the morning with the DA's office about the chop shop operation, forces himself out of bed, gets dressed, walks into the car. Susan's in the trunk, dead in the trunk. And he drives to the courthouse. The whole time he's sweating, nobody points out the scratches all over him. He told them that he had hit himself on a nail in his garage when they pointed out his bandaged hand. And he was so terrified. I mean, it's getting so, it's getting so hot. What if they smell something in that trunk? He gets out of the late meeting. No one was around his car. Nobody had smelt anything. And he finishes up his work, drives to the mountainside, and throws her naked body into a ravine. So he finishes up all his work, calls his wife, and leaves back for Florida. He had actually fixed the rental car. You know, he had told the window thing was with a coal on the highway, had smashed into it. He had gotten rid of all the mats in the car, thrown them away in a very, very isolated trash can. He had given a very discreet car wash on the inside. He was sure that there was nothing that could link to him. No DNA in the trunk or the car. But before he left, you know, a couple people did ask, have you seen Susan? Ron Poole was one of them. Susan's sister Shelby was one of them. Shelby knew, you know, Susan kept saying that Mark got her pregnant and didn't want the baby and all of these things. So she's very skeptical of Mark. But he said, no, I have no idea. I was just here for the chop shop stuff. And he gets into the plane and he leaves for Miami. Now, when he gets to Miami, he he tries to get back to work. In his new job, this is his dream job, but he was acting a little bit different. He was still good at his job. He was still very valued at the FBI agent's office, but he started losing weight. He had this new habit of scratching himself on the chest until he bled. They would actually have to go to the doctor and get prescription medicine to help with it. He had explosive diarrhea all the time. And Kathy just saw it, and everyone around him just saw it. It's from the stress. You know, you go from a rural location to competing with like 200 different agents. Mm-hmm. It's very stressful. Meanwhile, Susan's sister in Kentucky is looking for Susan. And she was highly suspicious of both the FBI agents that were always involved. So she goes to the local police and she says, well, this is what's going on with my sister. And they say, well, Susan, we know Susan. And we know that Susan had a ton of enemies. I mean, too many to count. Mm -hmm. Also, she is an adult and we have no evidence that she disappeared. But Officer Ray from the local police decided to talk to Mark anyway. Calls him up. And that's when the alarm bells go off. Mark Putnam, FBI agent, law enforcement, federal agent, just was too cooperative, too cooperative. Wouldn't shut the f*** up, to be honest. Just nonstop blabbering. Hours. Blah, 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 blah. This is what I did on Saturday of that day. Blah, 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 blah. I didn't ask that. That's weird. Why are you overcompensating right now? Everyone in law enforcement knows that's a little weird. How is he making this mistake? Because that's what, you know, guilt, shame, nerves does to people, right? Mm -hmm. So he's just blabbing on and on. And Officer Ray's like, okay, that's weird. But when he starts interviewing everyone else in town, nobody had seen the two together. Nobody had placed Susan with Mark the, you know, the day before she went missing or anything. And everyone would say the same thing. Officer Ray, that Susan girl is wild, okay? (laughs) Her entire life, she has been surrounded by bad people. And things just kept getting worse. So maybe she did run off finally. Just, I don't really think some FBI agent did anything. I don't think anyone maybe killed her even. I just think some shit's going down. So meanwhile, a year passes. And anytime Officer Ray had any free time, he would try to work on this case. But there wasn't much he could do. The most suspicious he was, was of Ron Poole, the, mm-hmm. the man who got her the motel room when she disappeared, and Mark Putman, Putnam. 
but when he goes to the FBI to talk about it, the Bureau is like, that's it? You want to investigate two federal agents because you, <laughs> a local cop, have a sneaking suspicion? Get the f*** out of here, okay? This is why you're a police officer and not an FBI agent. Nope. Wow. Now, Mark's trying to get back with life. You know, work's fine. He's not making friends, but he did his job. He even turned down a promotion. And Kathy thought that all again were these these are signs of anxiety because he has competition. He wants to prove himself. Some in the FBI vaguely knew about Mark's involvement with Susan, who is now a missing person. But they also knew that informants are inevitably very disgruntled people. You cut them off. You stop giving them money. They get frustrated. Most of them are criminals. Some of them have drug addictions. They're just kind of volatile people. You turn them off and suddenly false accusations could be thrown at any fbi agent so they didn't take it seriously none of his peers did but mark wasn't okay with it he offered multiple times to his bosses that he wanted to take a polygraph just to get kentucky law enforcement off his back and they just told him are you freaking crazy no they turned him down multiple times what because that means technically on paper there would be an open investigation on mark and that's mm-hmm. just not what they wanted. The, the Bureau didn't want an but open Mark investigation. Mark is so corrupt. Like, he wants to be. Yeah, so their speculation. Is it the guilt that's getting to him? Is he a good person? Well, let's not say good person. Does he have? Is the moral compass kicking in all of a sudden? Or do you think that he is genuinely cocky enough that he thinks that he can get away with it? Mm. I don't know, right? You could kind of see it from both sides. And one of the FBI agents, um, Higgins. FBI agent Higgins, which if that's not an agent name, Agent Higgins. I feel like I'm watching a Marvel movie. So Agent Higgins decides to take them up on it. And is like, okay, well, let me just get them off my back. Because they keep calling me to interview you. Because he's like his superior. Mm. So I'll just ask you a couple questions. Clear you out. And then we're done. Okay, first question. How old is Susan? She was uh, 28. Mm -hmm. And they all froze. How does he know that? No. She was... 28. Oh my god. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? This is real? Yeah. And again, that's not indication of a crime. But they all they all felt something. Everyone in that room kind of froze for a Did minute. Did he know he f***ed up at yeah. that moment? Yeah. But again, you know, you can't get arrested for that. You can't get arrested for using past tense. So they continued on. Well, what about... um? The last day she was seen. What were you doing that day? Oh, uh, I, w- I was cleaning the old house garage before the move and I had hurt my hand on a nail. So I get so mad um, that my hand is all bleeding that I-, I go to my rental car and I kicked the passenger window. I was so pissed, but I, I didn't want to pay for it. So I told the rental car agency that a piece of rock hit it on the highway. That's what you did, huh? For six hours, they talked. And hour by hour, the other agents in the room were getting more and more sad because they knew for sure he was guilty now. Wow. And at the end of that, they sent him home and they said, okay, in a couple days, we'll fly to D.C. to FBI headquarters because that's the only place FBI agents get polygraphed is by the FBI, technically, in most situations. So when he gets home, Kathy knows something's wrong. You know, she starts freaking out and she's like, tell me, tell me, what is it? What's going on? And he's like, well, you remember Susan? She's missing. Okay. So what does that have anything to do with it? I mean, she had so many enemies. They're accusing. Are you saying they're accusing you? Because she went around lying to the whole time. That bitch. And she's like, you know what? You give your life to the FBI. And they believe some little girl's bullshit 
about you from Kent. Oh, no. So Kathy, she marches down to the FBI office to give them a piece of her mind. She went off on Agent Higgins. And she's like, he's the finest in the bureau. He's got a great career. You know whose fault this is? Ron Poole. Ron Poole tried to sleep with me. He tried to sleep with Susan. If you really want to catch a guilty person, I bet it's him. I bet he tried to do something to Susan. You better go look at Ron Poole. My husband is too honest, okay? So get off his back. He gave his life to the FBI. So she gets home, and Mark still told her, I think I should take the polygraph. And it kind of made sense to her, because, yeah, I mean, just get it over with, you know? Get it over with. I know that this is a bump in your career, but it's fine. But that night, when she's laying in bed, it hit her. Very slowly. It was like poison slipping into her body. Why is he acting like this if he's not guilty? Oh my god. This forker had an affair with an informant. (sighs) Okay, if this is true, this polygraph is going to end him. So she wakes up, shakes him. She's like, okay, whatever it is, babe. You tell me, okay? Because we're going to work it out, right? The past eight years, all we've ever done is work it out, right? So you would tell me if you and Susan did something together, right? You would tell me, tell me, tell me. Because if there's something that you're hiding, when, they, when you take that polygraph, they're going to they're gonna know. And it's going to make you look guilty. So just tell me. And he kept telling her, I'm going to take the polygraph tomorrow. And I promise I'll tell you everything after. And the next morning, he left for the airport. But, but Kathy couldn't stop thinking, you know? The rental car window. The bandage on his hand. The affair happened. She knew it. But then again, this dawned on her. She helped Susan steal her husband. She was, she was on the phone with Susan saying like things like, you're intelligent, you're wonderful, blah, 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 blah. And of course she took Mark. Of course, only an idiot wouldn't see that. I'm a freaking idiot. I would tell her things like, don't sell yourself short. You can have what I can have, Susan. Disgusting. But if that's true, what was the other rumor? That Susan was pregnant with Mark's kid? Oh my God. If that's, oh my God, they probably, they probably snuck around his car having sex. Disgusting. (gasps) Do you think they broke the pass? So when he went back to Kentucky, remember the passenger window was, he had a crack. Was he continuing the affair? He went back to sleep with her and maybe during this rough sex in the car, the window broke, but that doesn't make sense. Who, who, who breaks a window like that? Or maybe she, she got hurt. Maybe, maybe she got hurt with that window. Okay, but if, if Susan got hurt, he would try to cover it up, right? Because he would be scared he'd get fired. I mean, this is his entire life is the FBI. No, he wouldn't leave her like that. But what, what, okay, maybe they got into a car accident and then she died. But he didn't want people to know that he was having sex with her. Maybe he left her body, her dead body. No, but then the car would be ruined. Oh my God. I think my husband killed Susan. So slowly, she starts like piecing these things together. I mean, it's been like a freaking year. Uh And she realizes, holy shit. At the same time, Mark is rushed into the FBI headquarters, sits down to take the polygraph. And after four questions, the main ones, did you have anything to do with Susan's disappearance? Did you kill Susan? And he said no to all of them. The polygraph examiner stopped the test and said, okay, you need to calm down first because you're off the charts. Like, I don't, I don't even know what to do with you. And he says, well, before I get started again, can I call my wife, Kathy? 
and he calls her and now she had come to the realization that her husband might have killed susan she's freaking out okay don't say anything right now don't say anything to them don't say anything on the phone can you do me a favor are you arrested he asked the agents no he's not okay get a lawyer then you come home right now don't say a word you come home so he gets back on a plane with agent higgins and comes straight home the most uncomfortable plane ride because they both knew that he was guilty and Mark told Susan everything, during which she slapped him multiple times and he was sobbing like a literal child. That's how she described it, like a sobbing three-year-old, very disgusted the way that she said it. But she was frustrated. And what's even sad is that at the end of this conversation, Kathy blamed herself. She felt like if she knew there were all these warning signs of Susan, you know, being in love with Mark and the affair, if she could have stopped the affair, then she could have put an end to it before Susan was murdered. And Kathy called up every single family member, her mom, her dad, and her sister. Her sister started taking care of the kids. Her parents came to cook and take care of everything. They were told everything that Mark had. Well, they were told that Mark had accidentally killed a woman. We don't know if it was accidental. We don't know if maybe this was his way of trying to get away with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he wanted to stay with the FBI. They get an attorney and they get a child psychologist. And they ask the child psychologist how to tell kids how daddy's going to prison for killing a woman that he had an affair with. And the attorney was confident. This is, I mean, this attorney used to be a prosecutor. So most cops, they will get defense attorneys who also used to be prosecutors because typically they're cops lawyers. That's what they're called. You know, they, they like cops. They don't hate cops. Mm. So he gets a cops lawyer and they say, well, they don't have a body. Failing a lie detector isn't a crime, nor is it an indication of a crime. There's no confession. They believe you killed Susan, but they don't have proof. They don't even have proof that she's dead. Mm -hmm. Do you know how many people would have motive to kill, you know, Susan? A lot. So why don't we try to work up a plea deal? Manslaughter. Manslaughter with a twist. You want to be in federal prison, okay? Not Kentucky. Here's something I learned from all these cases. If you're going to commit crimes, commit federal crimes because apparently federal prison is much cushier. I don't know if this is true. That's what all these criminals are saying, okay? That's what all these lawyers are trying to bargain for. Put them in federal prison. We don't want state prison. So manslaughter charges, federal prison. The defense bargained for 10 years. The prosecutors hit back with 18 and they settled on 16, but he will be eligible for parole at eight years and probably won't do more than 12 in a federal facility. The only extra rule was that if they find Susan's body and she was pregnant, they will not charge him for the death of a fetus. So he goes in and he confesses and he tells the feds where her body is. And sure enough, they found her skeletonized body there and he was taken into custody. Now, in Kentucky, everybody was super pissed off. Susan's family were upset because he just got away with it. How did the FBI let this happen? You know, how does that doesn't make sense? The book is called Above Suspicion. When you're an agent, maybe no one thinks you're suspicious. You're mm -hmm. above it all. The mm -hmm. FBI needs to check its agents. What if what if people in Kentucky never tried to get to the bottom of it? He was mm -hmm. just going around putting criminals away for over a year when he himself is a murderer. That's disgusting. So he's in prison. Kathy stayed by his side and died at the age of 38 before he ever came out. What? She was found dead by her 13-year-old daughter <gasps> of heart attack. Oh, my God. Before her death, she did reach out to Susan's sister and even though the two women never met, they became friends. And they would talk on the phone a lot. 
Mark Putnam was released in 2000, and he remained close to Kathy's parents, raising the kids. Everyone in his life believes it's a crime of passion and that he's a wonderful man. He was released after only 10 years for good behavior. I think what's fascinating about this case is um, how people remember Susan. So here's a quote from one of her friends that knew her. Mm-hmm. She was just likable. She was so convincing. No matter what bullshit she was saying, you know, her personality was that good. People liked her, me included. But Susie always wanted more out of life than she was able to get. She just didn't know how to go about it. This case to me was very scary to research because I think we're so used to reading books and watching these documentaries where the victim is painted in a perfect light. Almost unrelatably perfect. But Susan was so flawed, right? There's no way around it. And there's no way to tell this story in an accurate way without mentioning these parts. But I think that's how these stories should be told because nobody's perfect. And you don't have to be perfect to be a victim of a horrendous crime. So that's the story of Susan Smith and Mark Putnam, the FBI agent. The rookie FBI agent with potential. Wow. Let me know, and you know, what are your thoughts on this case? Does this make you think differently of what's an FBI agent's trunks? Me going around, <laughs> pop that trunk, sir. Just kidding, don't get arrested. And I hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>